Well, hello, everyone. How are we doing this evening? Fantastic. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Taylor, and this is Miranda, and we are interns with WVU Chi Alpha. And before we say anything else, I have got to say thank you to Nathan for that awesome intro. Seriously, Nathan, I think I speak for both myself and Miranda when I say that we feel super loved, so thank you. And also, shout out to Maxwell for dropping some serious wisdom before service. Maxwell, that was amazing. Thank you also for sharing with us. And tonight, we are going to continue with our topical series. How many of y'all have enjoyed it so far? Yeah, it's been incredible. And tonight's topic is anxiety and depression. Now, it's no secret that these things are a big deal in our culture today. And in fact, they are such a big deal that even Apple is calling attention to them. So who has an iPhone? Let me see them. Yes, all those iPhones out there. Well, for those of you who are non-Apple people, one, I'm sorry you live a deprived life. And two, let me fill you in. So on the iPhone here, Apple features a news story on their home screen. Now this news story, it changes every few hours, and it's usually about what's happening in politics or the economy on that day. Right. So a few weeks ago, Taylor and I opened our phones, and this was the news story that Apple chose to feature on their iPhones called the year in anxiety and so it's interesting because it's one of those things it's it's written kind of sarcastically so it's funny but when you read it you're like oh this is true and so you laugh and then you kind of like feel bad for laughing and so I'm just going to read you the tagline because you'll understand what I mean it says between threats of a nuclear war and a perfect storm of natural disasters 2017 has seen a lot of heart-pounding push notifications and Xanax prescriptions that's right this was the news article that Apple felt was important enough to showcase on all their iPhones so to start off our discussion tonight, let's take a look at this and see what Ameri America was so anxious about this year, shall we? All right, so we take a look at our article here. The very first headline is Real Talk. 2017 was scary. So dramatic. It says North Korea claims to have successfully tested a ballistic missile capable of hitting the U.S., blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's actually pretty serious, pretty scary. But it goes on to say, how do we deal with that knowledge? Experts say it helps to have a plan even if it's as simple as duck and cover. And the next section explains how to cope with fears of a nuclear disaster. And then it walks you through like a 10-step plan about things you can do to calm yourself down if you live your days in fear of an impending nuclear attack. So this is the culture we live in, people. Just let that sink in. So what about our next article in what Apple feels we are anxious about? Oh, eco-anxiety. So it says earth attacks. This year brought the devastating hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria and multiple wildfires across California. So again, pretty bad stuff, actually kind of serious. But it goes on to say that the connection between mental health and climate change has grown so strong in recent years, psychologists and researchers now have a word for it, eco-anxiety. So there is now a type of anxiety where you are literally actually afraid of the earth. That is a real thing now. So again, this is our society. Just let that sit with you for a moment. Yeah, and so, and then one of the last sections of this article, it's called Our Country is Making Us Crazy. And it's one of my favorite sections. It says, according to the survey by the American Psychological Association, the biggest stressor Americans face is the state of the U.S. So guys, we, it's saying that we're more anxious about the future of our nation now than we ever were. So even during World War II, the Vietnam War, or after September 11th. So we are very, very anxious. And then at the very end of this article, it talk, you know, after talking about earth attacks and all these things you can be afraid of, the, the editors at Apple just have a little suggestion for you. And they say, maybe you should just chill out a little. So just chill out, guys. 
Okay, and so I have a question. I'm going to ask you guys to be super honest with me for a second. I know that this article was a little bit silly, but this question is kind of serious. If you can, just raise your hand for me. Who in here tonight has someone in their family that they know has dealt with anxiety or depression before? Or maybe a friend? Maybe a significant other? That's a lot. That's almost everybody. Wow, y'all, just about every single person in this room had their hand raised. And that right there for every hand in the air is why we as the Chi Alpha staff felt it was so important to talk about anxiety and depression tonight. Because mental health, it's important, and clearly, it affects all of us. But because we belong to the body of Christ, not one of us is alone in dealing with this. And so together, we want to be able to recognize mental illness, to know how to address it, and most importantly, we want to learn what Jesus has to say about it. So those are the three big ideas we're going to unpack tonight. Sound good? Cool. I'll pray, and then we can get started. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are here. Thank you for bringing everyone to this place. Lord, would you be in Miranda and I's words? Would you anoint us to speak? Would you anoint each of my friends here to hear the words that you would have for them? We love you. We praise you. And we commit this night to you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. So as I was preparing for this sermon tonight, I kind of knew that this would hit home for a lot of you. But I started thinking, why does this matter so much to us? Why has this affected so many of us? And so I did some research, and I came across some statistics that really struck with me, and I want to read them to you. The first one here says that 40 million U.S. adults suffer from an anxiety disorder, and 75% of them experience their first episode of anxiety by the age of 22. How many of you guys in here are 22 or younger right now? That's a lot. That's pretty much everybody. few hands are down, but... Here are some other stats for you, and these, these are from the survey of the National Data on Suicide and Depression. I have a couple hundred students that were surveyed. It found that 49.5% of students have reported feeling hopeless in the past year. 60.5% of students reported feeling lonely, a common indicator of depression in the past year. And 1 in 12 college students makes a suicide plan at some point in their college career. And so again, why are we talking about this tonight? Well, as Taylor pointed out, and as these statistics pointed out, anxiety and depression are a reality for many of us. I know back when I was a freshman in college at WVU, I don't feel old enough to be saying that, but it's true. A couple years ago when I was a freshman, um, I dealt with anxiety really badly. I was diagnosed with um, anxiety my freshman year. I struggled with test anxiety. I failed exams because of it. Um, I ended up going to therapy, and I was, um, it was through therapy that I kind of learned like my triggers for anxiety. And it's funny, one of my triggers is actually public speaking, so. <laughs> but I'm here, and so I'm, I'm here, and I'm telling you that, that I understand. And so if you think you're alone in your anxiety and depression, you're not. Um, and I know that some of us in this room right now are dealing with this stuff, and so it's important to talk about it. And, and so I know it's a sensitive topic, and it's hard to talk about. It feels dark and uncomfortable. And while it may seem like all of these are reasons to avoid the topic of mental illness, these are actually reasons why we should be talking about it. Especially as Christians, guys, we, we cannot be afraid to talk about the hard stuff. We need to drag it out into the light, and we need to examine anxiety and depression. We need to know what God says about it. So first, a little housekeeping thing, let's pause for a second and define anxiety and depression. And so these are some definitions. I just copied and pasted them from the American Psychological Association website. Um, it says that anxiety is the emotion characterized by tension, worried thoughts, and a physical changes such as high blood pressure. Depression is more than just sadness. 
People with depression may experience a lack of interest in a pleasure in daily activities, significant weight loss or weight gain, insomnia, excessive sleeping, lack of energy, inability to concentrate, feelings of worthlessness or excessive guilt, and reoccurrent thoughts of death or suicide. Now I want you guys to know that these are still pretty general definitions. There's a lot more to anxiety and depression than what I have up on these slides here. And so there's a lot that I left out, but I did that for two reasons. The first one is that anxiety and depression affects all of us differently. So all of us in this room right now, there is no one-size-fits-all definition. There's a lot of variation in their symptoms, their causes, the way they manifest in us. And for the purpose of tonight, we don't need to know all that. All we need to know is the basics so that you know what Taylor and I are referring to when we use the words anxiety and depression. The second reason I kept the definitions kind of vague was because I don't want anyone walking away from Chi Alpha tonight thinking they've been diagnosed with something. I also don't want any of you leaving tonight trying to diagnose yourself with something. So please, when you leave here tonight, do not go hang out with your small groups and get on your phones and start Googling why you feel the way you feel or Googling symptoms. We don't want to know what WebMD says. We want to know what Jesus says, right? Right? Okay. So cool. Now we have a foundation. We have our definitions. I was thinking of how to unpack this topic this evening, and I thought that it would be a good idea for us to investigate why we experience emotion in the first place, right? Because we know emotion is tied to anxiety and depression. And it's because of the nature of our creation. If we take it back all the way to the beginning of Scripture, Genesis 1.27 tells us that man was created in God's image. So man, as in we, were created in God's image. So guys, we express emotion, and we have this ability to experience feeling because we were created in the image of a God who himself feels. Isn't that really cool? I think that's cool. We know that God expresses emotion. He loves, he gets angry, he expresses grief and gladness, just like we do. And so my hope in saying that is that we can come to this understanding that it's normal to express emotion. It's normal to feel anxious before a big game or for your big chem final. It's normal to be sad after a bad breakup or a fight with a friend. But here's the thing. Emotions were never meant to control us. They were never meant to hinder our ability to experience the, the richness and the fullness of this life that God gave us. Yet we know all too well that they still can and they often do. I also want to take a minute here and recognize the stigma that our society still attaches to anxiety and depression. We, and we all know this. We all understand this. In our culture, it, it doesn't seem like we know how to deal with mental illness. We're kind of uninformed about it in a way. We don't understand it. We don't know how to talk about it. And so the result of that is that we, we have this tendency to sad shame people. Do you know what I'm talking about? And we tell people that it's wrong to say that you're not okay. Even as Christians sometimes, y'all, we can be at fault for this too. Christians try to condense the issue. Um, sometimes we say it's a faith issue or we tell people just to pray about it more. We say it's a sin issue. Because for many people, mental illness just doesn't seem to fit with what we think a Christian life should be. We think, how can you be filled with Jesus and with unexplainable sadness at the same time? Or how can you be filled with Jesus and with this crippling anxiety at the same time? You see, part of our belief system is that God changes everything and that because Christ lives in us, everything in our hearts and our minds should be fixed. And while that's true, God does change everything and Christ does live in us. None of this means that we won't experience, experience brokenness in this life. Christianity is not a free ticket out of brokenness, mental or physical. 
Have you guys ever noticed how differently we treat mental brokenness versus like physical brokenness? Here, here's an example. So I'm standing up here right now. Let's say that I had a broken leg. Okay. You could see it. It would be visible. It's obvious, right? You might see like pain in my face that my leg is broken. Actually, probably wouldn't be standing if my leg was broken. But um, so yeah, I have a broken leg. Okay. And so you might pray for me for like rapid healing, but you also wouldn't see anything wrong with me going to the hospital, getting an x-ray and having a cast, right? You wouldn't see anything wrong with that. In fact, you'd be concerned if I didn't do that, right? If I came back in here next Monday with the same broken leg, you'd be like, what are you doing? Why? (laughs) If I didn't get it fixed, it probably wouldn't heal right, right? My leg would never be the same. Do you see where I'm going with this? We need to start looking at anxiety and depression and at mental illness in general the same way we look at the physical. Because when we try to blame something specific, we approach anxiety and depression and say, oh, it's, it's all in your head, or we, we blame faith, or we blame sin. When we approach mental illness like that, it cheats us out of understanding the beauty and the complexity with which God's creative hands formed us. Proverbs 14.30 says that a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy rots the bones. Do you guys know what this is saying? It's saying that our minds and our bodies are inseparably linked. So trying to place blame on just one aspect of our being, saying that it's entirely physical or entirely spiritual, or it's all in our head, it just doesn't work. And that's because the Bible says so. Our minds, bodies, and souls are inseparably linked. We're not just our emotions. We're not just a body. We're not just a conscious or our feelings or a will. But what we are is a complex composition of body, mind, and soul. So when something goes wrong inside of us, if we, if we find ourselves dealing with anxiety or depression, or we need to remember that mental illness is an effect. It's not a cause. It always originates in something. So whether it's genetics, you know, anxiety and depression, it's been shown in research that it's been tied to certain genes. You can actually inherit those from your, from your parents and have this predisposition to develop certain disorders. Maybe it's just a chemical imbalance in your brain or something with brain structure. Maybe it's just memories of past experiences. Whatever it is, it has an origin. So as we prepare to examine scripture tonight, we examine our own hearts. Here's a few last things I want you guys to know. The first thing is that anxiety and depression or any other mental illness that you may be dealing with, whatever it is, we need to know that mental illness is not something God is intimidated by. The next thing is that mental illness isn't something to be ashamed of, and you need to know that. And it doesn't mean that you're weak. Anxiety is a weakness, and depression is a weakness, but neither define who you are. There's a verse in um, 2 Corinthians. It's, it's 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11. I'm going to read it to you. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Did y'all catch that? This verse tells us that God is strong in our weaknesses. So yeah, we, we have them. We have weak spots. Depression might be your weak spot. Anxiety might be your weak spot. But both
Both are opportunities for God to show up and show us his strength. It's through our weaknesses that we actually get to see the glory of God, which I think is pretty cool. So keep this in mind tonight. If anxiety and depression have been a part of your story, or if it's a part of your story at this very moment, if it's something you're walking through right now. And as we get ready to look at a story about Jesus, please be honest with yourself about this stuff, guys. Be honest with yourself about what you're feeling and what you're walking through. Because tonight, at least I'm hoping, that tonight might be a little bit of a holy nudge telling some of you that it's time to address what you've been going through. And I think that a good place to start doing that is by reading the Bible, don't you? Yeah? Now, when we look in the Bible, we might not see the word depressed or depression, but we do see words like downcast, brokenhearted, troubled, miserable, despairing, and mourning, among others. And in the Bible, we see that many people struggled from depression and anxiety. And did you know that in the Bible, we see that even Jesus himself suffered with symptoms of depression and anxiety? Now, it's not something we really think about when we think of Jesus, but it's true. He did. Which is why tonight we're going to take a look at Jesus' lowest point of his life here on earth, or his own valley of anxiety and depression, if you will, and what he did in the midst of it, because I think it can give us some clues about what to do when we find ourselves in the same valleys in life. So our story tonight is going to start in Matthew 26, verse 36. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, or if you have an iPhone for all you Apple people who embrace it, or another phone for those of you who have yet to, feel free to look it up on your phone too. Just a little backstory as you're turning there. We find Jesus here at a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. He had just finished the Last Supper with his disciples or his closest friends. And at this point, Jesus had lived a life of ministry. He'd done many miracles and he taught his disciples many things. Despite all that wonderful stuff, some pretty rough stuff was unfolding at this particular moment. Number one, Judas, one of Jesus's close friends, had just secretly agreed to betray Jesus behind his back by handing him over to the authorities. Two, Jesus had just predicted that Peter, another one of his close friends, was going to flat out deny knowing him. And three, Jesus was about to be arrested and crucified. So I don't know about y'all, but when I read a story, I like to picture myself in it. So imagine that you were Jesus here. One of your best friends was about to betray you behind your back. Another one of your best friends was about to flat out deny knowing you at all. And you're about to face the roughest battle of your life. How'd you feel? Or think about the lowest point of your life here on earth so far. How did you feel? Maybe you're in it right now. How do you feel? Capture those feelings and keep them fresh on your mind so you can apply them to the story as we read it. Starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asks Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them, and he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. 
Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Pretty rough stuff, right? When I look at this story, the verse that stands out to me is verse 38, because it says that Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled, and that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It doesn't just say that Jesus was a little overwhelmed or a little sad, but it says his soul, his very innermost being, was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And worse, his friends kept falling asleep on him on his time of need, so he was probably feeling lonely and disappointed too. He was in a low, low spot. Sounds a lot like how we feel when we're anxious and depressed, doesn't it? But in the midst of Jesus's anxiety and depression, he doesn't shrink back and let it get the best of him. Instead, we see here that he does five things that we too can use as powerful weapons in the times we feel anxious or depressed. So let's unpack our story together verse by verse so we can uncover each of these five weapons. Sound like a plan? Cool. Before we get started with our first verse, though, I just want to give a shout out to this guy right here. His name is Dr. George Wood, and he has written a ton of phenomenal resources on the topic of depression. So a lot of the wisdom that we're going to explore tonight comes from him. So just wanted to give him credit. If you guys ever want to check out any of his resources, I'll be happy to point you to them because they are seriously the best. Anyways, let's start the very first verse in our story, verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. In Jesus's anxiety and depression, the first weapon he used was staying in community. Jesus did not isolate himself when he started feeling anxious and depressed. We see here that Jesus didn't take all of his friends into the garden with him. He just took three of his closest, Peter, James, and John. And I think it's the same with us. In our anxiety and in our depression, we need community. Now, an entire community, that can be overwhelming when we're at a low point in life. But at minimum, we at least need those few friends or family members who are closest to us and who we fully trust. Can I be real honest with y'all for a second? Like it was said earlier, anxiety and depression have been a part of my story. They really have. And in the times of my life where I face these things, community has been the absolute last thing that I want. Typically, my response to anxiety and depression is to run in my room and shut my door and close the world out completely. The one thing that has helped me most in the valleys of life has been community. It's been my close friends, friends like Katie Goody, Katie Sombrio and Miranda and Ado and Haley, friends who encourage me and who call out truth in me even when I can't see it myself. We all need someone we can run to, especially when we face hard things like anxiety and depression, because... To quote the wisdom of the great Jordan Goody, when you're by yourself, you get weird. It's true. Depression is the master at isolating you within yourself. If you deal with anxiety or depression, or even if you're just going through a rough season in life, ask yourself, are you, like Jesus, staying in community? And if not, I want you to begin thinking, even right now, who are those trusted people that you can run to when the hard times of life hit? So continuing on with our story, let's look at the next verse. Verse 37 says, He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The second weapon we see Jesus use here in his anxiety and depression is that he did not put on a mask. No mask. 
we see that Jesus didn't try to hide his feelings or think to himself, well, I'm the son of God, so probably no one's going to understand what I'm going through. Instead, he told his disciples, we see, he says, I'm overwhelmed, I'm hurting, I'm suffering. He was real. Kind of makes me think of this. Does anyone have what I like to call a struggle bus class? By struggle bus class, I'm talking about those classes that are from like three to five on a Tuesday, Thursday, and they are straight PowerPoint lectures. Anyone have that struggle? Yes, for all of you with your hands raised, I feel you. Because back when I was a student, I so had one of these struggle bus classes. And it was a class where no one paid any attention. Legit, though, the kid that sat right in front of me would research war submarines the whole class. War submarines. I don't know why. Every class, that's what he researched. The girl that sat on this side of me spent the whole class on Instagram. And the kid on my other side was always asleep. I am talking like this kid was never awake. I don't know how he got away with it. I don't know how he never got caught. But he slept through almost every lecture. So even though pretty much no one paid attention in this class, there was one lecture that got everyone's attention. Just one. But it was brilliant. And that's because during this particular lecture, the professor put a picture of a mask on every one of her slides. She didn't explain the mask. She didn't point them out. She lectured just like normal, but on every slide, there was a picture of a mask. So she got to the end of her lecture, and she asked us what was different about class that day. And we said, you have a picture of a mask on your slides. She said, that's right, because if there's one thing I want you to take away from this class, it's that whenever someone is communicating, especially in our culture today, they usually do it while wearing a mask no matter what is being said. And even though I pretty much remember nothing from that class, I do remember that lecture so well because it made me think, how many times a day do we and everyone around us mask our true feelings and walk around in pain just so that we look good in front of others? And I think this is especially true when we deal with anxiety and depression. There's a really beautiful verse in Psalms 147 that says, He, meaning God, heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Something the Lord has pointed out to me just recently is that scripture says he binds up their wounds. But for a skin wound to be bound up, it first has to be cleaned out. I mean, we wouldn't stitch up a wound that's infected or filled with debris, right? And I think this is where abandoning our masks comes in. Because if we can open up our wounds just a little bit and let the ones who love us peek inside, this is where healing can begin. And that's why the second weapon of abandoning masks is so important and why we see Jesus use it in his sorrow. So the first two weapons we've seen Jesus use so far when he was feeling down were staying in community and not putting on a mask. So let's check out the third weapon we see Jesus use against anxiety and depression in our story. Our next verse, verse 39, says, Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. His anxiety and depression, Jesus also used the weapon of staying in prayer. Three different times in our story, we see that Jesus left his friends to go and pray to God. One thing that I found about anxiety and depression is that they are both so selfish. They are the masters at taking our eyes off of God and off of others and putting them onto only ourselves. Reminds me of this. Anybody have a friend or someone in your family who's just brutally honest about things? Someone that just calls it how it is? Yes. If you have your hand raised, you know that those people make life fun. And for me, that person is my mom. And just a few weeks ago, I was talking to her on the phone. Actually, it was more like I was whining to her on the phone. So she lets me have my little rant. And when I stop, I fully expect her to sympathize with me. But instead, she kind of paused. And she said, 
Taylor, you have got to get it together. You are so wrapped up in yourself and you have to remember that this world is bigger than just you. I was a little offended. Well, more than a little actually. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized she was exactly right. If we always have our eyes on ourselves and our problems, which is typically the case when we fight things like depression and anxiety, we can't see where we're going. Seriously, how dumb would I look if I tried to walk around, but I had my eyes on myself only? Like, how ridiculous do I look right now? No one walks around campus like this because you look weird. And yet, this is what we look like when we walk around with our eyes on ourselves all the time. And that's why prayer, especially in the middle of hard things like anxiety and depression, is so key. Because it's the one thing that helps us lift our eyes up off of ourselves and put them onto God. Now, it's hard to do this in the middle of a valley of life, especially when you feel like God's forgotten you. I know because I've been there. And sometimes our prayer sounds more like a cry for help, but that's enough. Jesus did that. We see right here that he tells God he's unhappy, but he asks that God's will be done just the same. In our own anxiety and depression, we must remember to look up, to let God take us by the hand, and lead us step by step through it. The cool thing is that as we use this weapon of prayer in the face of anxiety and depression, we can also use our next weapon as well, and that is keeping a sweet spirit. In the next verse of our story, verse 40, it says, Then he, Jesus, returned and found the disciples sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So here, in the middle of the most intense anxiety and depression of his life, Jesus finds that his friends have fallen asleep on him. This happens two more times in our story, too, in verses 43 and 45. But each time, we see that Jesus doesn't tell them off or get bitter. Now, he does give them some correction, like we see here, but he does not let their carelessness or the disappointment he probably felt because of them make him bitter, nor does he blame them for his pain. Instead, we see that he took his feelings straight back to God. In the times of my own life where I've struggled with things like anxiety and depression, I have been so quick to get bitter and cast blame on my circumstances or on the people that have hurt me. You know, it's that whole, if this situation was different, or if this person wouldn't have done this, or if only this person would have done this, I wouldn't be going through this type of thing. And maybe that's true. But regardless, in the middle of his struggle, Jesus kept a sweet spirit, and he calls us to do the same. He did not blame his circumstances for the way he felt. As we lift our eyes to God in prayer, just like Jesus did, he helps us keep a right spirit in the middle of pain, too. So we've now made it to the end of our story. So far, we've seen Jesus fight anxiety and depression with four weapons. Staying in community, not putting on a mask, staying in prayer, and keeping a sweet spirit. And now we see him use his fifth and final weapon. After Jesus has finished praying for the last time, he returns to his friends and we see in verse 45 that he says, Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. In the face of intense anxiety and depression, Jesus' fifth and final weapon was taking action. Jesus could have run away from the people that were coming to arrest him and avoid being arrested and dying on the cross. I mean, he was fully God, so he could have just disappeared and avoided all of his problems. But he didn't. He rose up and he faced them head on. Let me ask you a question. What would you be doing today if you were not anxious or depressed? Think about it. If you were today, right now, anxiety-free and depression-free, what would you be doing? 
the challenge is to go ahead and do it anyway. Anxiety and depression are crippling, I know, because I've lived it. But the thing is, when we have Jesus, they aren't in control. They don't have to control our lives. What does taking action in your anxiety and depression look like? Maybe it's practical, like getting regular exercise, or visiting a doctor to get medication, or talking to a counselor. Sometimes professional help is needed to manage these things, and that's not wrong. Like Marina said earlier, it does not make you less of a Christian. Maybe taking action for you is doing one thing you love every day, even when you don't feel like it. Maybe it's committing to talk to God for 10 minutes each day or to read a chapter of your Bible each day. What practical action do you need to take in the face of your anxiety or depression or hard times? In closing, the band can come up, and I want to read this short little story. It starts like this. Pretty Pete, a bright yellow canary, perched smugly while his doting owner, on her daily cleaning routine, applied the end of her vacuum hose to the bottom of his cage. Distracted by the phone, she tipped upward the nozzle. Immediately, there was a swooshing squawk followed by a thump. Finding Pretty Pete lying among the lint of the canister, she gingerly picked him up, rushed him over to the sink, and cleaned off his cuts and bruises with lukewarm water. Later, when a friend inquired about Pretty Pete, she said, Um, he's okay, I guess. But he doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits on his swing and stares kind of glassy-eyed into space. When we get thumped, chances are we do much the same thing as Pretty Pete. I love that little story so much because I think anxiety and depression can leave us just like that canary friend. When waves of anxiety and depression come and keep coming, it's easy to simply sit and stare into space, just like Pretty Pete did. It's easy for us to feel totally defeated and forget we have a song. If you are currently struggling with anxiety or depression, or if you're just going through a hard season in life, I want you to know that there is hope and there is freedom. I know because I've lived it, and guys, I am not special. I don't have all the answers, but this I do know. That hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is good, and in anxiety and depression and pain, he is there, and his arms are open wide. Which weapon do you need to bring against anxiety, depression, or pain in your own life? Do you need to get into community? Take off your mask with a trusted friend? Maybe you need to spend time alone with the Lord in prayer? Do you need to ask God to help you keep a sweet spirit and take away bitterness? Or do you need to take practical action? Or maybe it's more than one of these. Tonight, I think Jesus wants to give us hope. And so I want us to respond tonight in kind of a special way. If that's you and you're dealing with anxiety, depression, mental illness, or like I said earlier, if you're just going through a hard spot in life, I want you to find someone and ask them to pray for you. You can come up here to the front. You can stay in your seat. You can find a place in this room. But I want you to find your friend or your small group leader or resource leader and ask them to pray for you. And as they do, I want you to open up your heart and listen to what God wants to speak to you. Listen for his hope because I truly believe you want to speak it over some of us tonight. And if that's you and you're struggling with anxiety, depression, mental illness, and you think you might want to check out professional help, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. Please come find me or Miranda or someone on staff, and we will be happy to point you to some resources where you can get this. Zephaniah 3.17 says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. 
Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for tonight. Thank you that in the broken world we live in, in the hard times and anxiety and depression, you're not intimidated by any of these things. You're still in control. Thank you for your love for each and every one of us. God, I pray that we would open our hearts to you tonight. God, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would speak your hope over each of my friends in this room tonight. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.